0: Thank you for joining us today for The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of October 16th and is preached by Brother Ryan Smith. We pray God's blessing on you as you listen to this message from Judges chapter 6. Here now is Ryan Smith. going through the traditional story of what you might find from Gideon. Listen, I'll show you my eyesight. I was fully convinced I was on the, I was in the book of Judges, but I was in Joshua. <laughs> Judging by your laugh, I'm not the only one who's made that mistake. So I was talking with Bruce uh, just a few minutes before services started, and he was asking me, you know, Bruce and I, we used to, we used to go to the gym together, and um he was talking to me about it. And I said, yeah, I've gained a few pounds since since we last met at the gym. And, and it reminds me about this suit that I'm wearing. I didn't buy a skinny suit. I just grew into it. And um, those of you not laughing know what I'm talking about as well. So over in, over in Judges, we see uh, just uh, a storyline that's repetitive. We see a storyline... Uh, that uh, we might even repeat in our own lives, and that storyline is is uh, rebellion and sin, repentance and praise, back to rebellion and sin. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I think we would all be guilty of this repetitiveness. I think it's just a cycle uh, that we all go through, though we do have the option... To go through it or not. Now, uh, when I say that, I'm not saying that you have the option to never sin again. Um, That's not an option. We are born of a human nature, so therefore we sin. Um, There are sins that we commit that we don't even know that we commit. We are of a sinful nation, sinful nation as well as nature. Uh, But that being said though, what if we had the option? What's the greatest way to combat sin? What's the greatest way to fight sin? And it's something that God has given us that he hasn't given any other species on the planet. And that's the freedom of choice. Though we are not a free will Baptist, we do have free will in a sense of our own lives. Uh, free will baptists believe that uh, you're able to lose your salvation you're able to uh, choose whether you want to go uh, to heaven or to hell after salvation where we believe what once saved always saved if it wasn't once saved always saved jesus would have to come down here every single day to die on the cross That's just the way that it is. It's his grace that makes it possible. But when it comes down to our freedom of choice, uh, let me just list some things here that that also have uh, the freedom of choice. And, and, And you may agree or disagree, but I believe scripture is pretty clear on it. And here is just a small list. Humans, animals, plants, the waves, the seas. Now, there's more. And you might think, Brother Ryan, the waves have no choice. Well, I beg to differ with you. The Bible says uh, that when Jesus told the waves to be still, what did they do? They were still. When God created the earth, uh, uh, the the book of Job says that when God gave the boundaries of which the waters were allowed to go into. Hence the reason of uh, the, the continents that we live on now. We see a number of things that obey God's will. We see a number of of things that obey the will of God because they know that God is the king. They know that he is the creator. Our problem, and here's the difference between us and the winds and the waves, us and the land, we don't obey. It's just that simple obedience is the difference. Uh, there, there, there's a story about an astronaut and a monkey and you may have heard this story before uh, but the story goes that the monkey, every time the monkey saw the red light, the monkey was supposed to do uh, a thing of instructions and, and as the rocket went up with the monkey and the astronaut in it, uh, the red light continued to beep and the astronaut waited for the green light to beep because when the green light beeped, that's when the astronaut was allowed to do what he was supposed to do. That's when he would take instruction, and so the rocket ship lifts off, and all they see is just the red light going off, and the mission control telling the monkey what to do: red light, red light, red light. And after every red light, the monkey would do it. The monkey did it in obedience, and the monkey was excited about it, and the monkey was doing all these things. And and can you imagine what the astronaut felt like? A little bit, man, I'm getting kind of upset. I don't get to do anything at all. You know, and, and let me just tell you how childish something like that is. Uh, my wife and I, before, before my daughter Josie, uh, my wife and I, we went to Epcot. And I was excited because we got to ride the, the, the Mission Mars ride, okay? And you get into this little capsule, and, and my wife is there with me, and I'm excited. And, and, and my excitement compared to my wife's excitement are two totally different things. I'm excited because in my head, I'm an astronaut. And I've got Gary Sinise, of all people, telling me what to do. Yeah. My wife's like, it's just a ride. You can press all the buttons you want to. But Gary's going to tell us what to do. I mean, Lieutenant Dan is going to tell us what to do, y'all. You guys got to be excited about it. And so we're in this small little capsule. and, And it's saying, push the red button. And I'm pushing the red button. And it says, push the green button. And my wife goes to press the green button. And I just jump over and press it, too. Because Gary Sinise is telling me what to do, right? So, can you imagine how this astronaut felt with this monkey being told what to do continuously? Red light. Red light. Red light. They finally get into orbit. And all of a sudden, the green light comes on. The green light comes on, y'all. And this, this astronaut, he's excited. And you hear mission control. Mission control to orbit one. Do you copy? And he's all excited. Orbit one. I, this is orbit one. I, I hear you, Mission Control. What what, what do I need to do? And loud and clear. And they respond, "Feed the monkey." <laughs> and that's that's the end of the story. A lot of times we think we're important because we have these jobs to do, but uh, sometimes God God is the one that is doing all of these things, and He just wants us to do small things so others can can experience great blessing. Normally when we talk about Gideon, we look at Gideon as this fearful guy this one who's hiding out in the the wine press trying to trying to thrush the wheat and normally this this wheat would be thrushed on a on a threshing floor and 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 what would happen is is the the idea of it and you've probably heard this before so i'm just going to repeat it real quick just in case you haven't Uh, what you do is you take the wheat and you throw it up in the air and the wind will catch the chaff and 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 just blow the chaff away and then whatever is left down there well that that's what you have to work with and and there's nothing wrong with it that's just how they did the wheat Uh, Gideon's problem by the time that we see Gideon is he's for some reason in the wine press trying to do the very same thing. Now, what's the problem with being in a wine press trying to thrush wheat? Uh, Not a whole lot of wind action going on there. Uh, When he goes to throw it up, it'll only go so high before the wind can actually catch it. And his idea of it was he's hiding from the Midianites. He doesn't want the Midianites to find him and so of course this wine press is, is a little bit at a lower elevation than, than what your threshing floor would be because where would we find a threshing floor perhaps on top of a hill, uh, a place to where they're actually able to uh, catch get that wind and go through and so and so he's in this wine press and and, and we can debate whether he's just not doing it at all or whether he's uh, strictly hiding or however it is. but by no means whatsoever, do we see this mighty man of valor until he's actually called a mighty man of valor? Uh, if you will, let us stand just for just for a moment uh, for the reading of God's word. Let us stand just for a moment, and I would like us to uh, to just start. I would like to start in verse one. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of, the, of, of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the, Midian, because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them—I'm sorry—made the child, made them dens which are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And it was so when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even though they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come into Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up, for they came up with their cattle and with their tents, and they came up as grasshoppers for the multitude. For they, I'm sorry, I don't know if that's me or not, but sorry. Uh, For they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it, and Israel was greatly impoverished because the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord and it came to pass that as Israel cried and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel which said unto them thus saith the Lord God of Israel I brought you from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you unto the hand of the Egyptians, uh, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and have draved them out from before you, and gave you, their, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you. I want to thank you for your blessings. I want to thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to be able to not only worship you, God, but to learn about who you are and the relationship that, that you want us to have with you, God. Lord, it is my prayer that we're able to strive for that very relationship. I pray that your richest blessings be upon this church and, Lord, that we would find peace in a time of chaos. Lord, that we would find a very good relationship with you that we would not only be able to serve you, but to lead others to do the same. Jesus, we love you. We ask all these things in our wonderful Savior's name. Amen. You may be seated. So we see here that, that uh, Gideon is in the threshing floor and we see uh, what he's trying to do and, and he's being obedient to his father and, and that's when the angel comes up and he begins to speak with him and it says, and there came an angel, in verse 11, and there came an angel unto the Lord that sat under the oak tree which was in Oprah. Not, not the television lady, okay? And it's not her land either. I just want to make, make that clear. And Oprah that pertained to Joash, uh, the hard name, for any of you that's wondering how to pronounce that, that name is pronounced hard name. Moving forward. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, Thou Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. So we see two contradicting things here. We see Gideon who, uh, who is hiding slash trying to do his job. Um, I'm not really sure exactly why he would be hiding at this point. As the Bible says, uh, the Midianites had this land for quite some time. They've had this land for many years at this point, and, and And Gideon is just sitting there and he is trying to do this wheat the way that it's supposed to be done. Um, and so there's a lot of times that people would say, coward, sissy. And he's not willing to do his job the way he's supposed to be doing. He's trying to. There's a number of things. Let, Let me just be clear on one thing you weren't there, and I wasn't there. As a matter of fact, I'd probably find a deeper winepress than Gideon, okay? I'm just putting myself out there because at the end of the day, um, we have no idea the hostility of the Midianites. We have no idea. And you might say, well, the Lord was with them. Well, the Lord was this. Well, the Lord was that. Well, at the end of the day, if you remember, the whole reason why the Midianites were even there is because Israel turned their back on the Lord. And so we see this problem that's here. And so now as he's uh, threshing this wheat, uh, this angel of the Lord comes up and says, what's he say? It says, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now there's a, there's a thing about us. There's two parts to all of us. Everyone who is in the sound of my voice and everyone who's not. Anyone who lives in this world, there's, there's, there's two parts about us. The first part is, is what we see as ourselves. And the second part is, is who God sees you as. Now, it, it makes no surprise to me that God would call him a mighty man of valor. And let me tell you why. Uh, very simple. If you're confused at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify it. Are you ready? Because God already knows what's going to happen. God already sees what our future looks like. God already knows what, and let me be clear on this, God already Already knows what he's going to allow to come into your life. Does that make sense? I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about problems. I'm talking about attacks. I'm talking about rude people. I'm talking about the person that cuts in line when you're trying to get to the buffet. Okay, we got to get some. Per- we got to get it personal here. Okay, this is uh, God knows what's going to happen, and so therefore He calls him. Thou mighty man of valor. Because here's the other thing. God knows what he has put into Gideon. And the difference of who Gideon is and who God sees Gideon as, the difference is Gideon and the choices that he needs to make. And so he says mighty man of valor in verse 13. It says, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why is all this befallen on us? So he doesn't even question what he has called him. He doesn't question, uh, okay, I'm just going to let that one pass. Uh, It's it's not an insult that the angel of the Lord had given him. It's not anything of that nature. Uh, He just gave him the name. And here's what Gideon is, uh, is, is more concerned about. Well, if you're really of the Lord, why are you letting this happen? Well, how come this is in my life? How come our nation is struggling right now? Um, If I were to ask you today, why is our nation struggling right now? Is that really a question that if the Lord were to come up to you and say all these things, you would question the Lord? Well, if you're really the Lord, why why is America doing what America is doing right now? Why is Russia doing what Russia is doing right now? Is this really a question that we need to answer? Is it a question we need Jesus to come down and make it clear for us? Is this not something that we can see for ourselves? I guess it's a rhetorical question because I think the answer is pretty clear um, sin, S I N. And it's not sin that our government may or may not be doing. It's not sin that uh, school systems may or may not be doing. It's not greed that so and so may be involved with. It's not lust that so and so may be involved with. Um, let me just be clear. All of that is outward action from an inward feeling. And we're guilty of it just as much. It doesn't matter what position you hold. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. At the end of the day, the inside thoughts is, a re- is, is the beginning of the outside actions. And so he goes through and he begins to, to ask these questions. And isn't it funny that the question's ignored? Isn't it funny that, uh, I mean, I, I basically said the exact same thing. Do we really need an answer to this? You can almost see the face of this angel of the Lord and say, all right, regardless of all that. And here's what here's how he responds in verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. Now your translation may uh, be a little bit different, and that's okay. But what he's saying is, is, go in your own strength. Go in the strength that I have given you. Um now let me just say this the strength that God has given me has been in me uh since I have been born now there are some things that I've learned along the way and there's some things that I have lost along the way um but everything that's within me is what God has put in me from the very beginning everything that's within you is something that God has put in you from the very beginning now he will use things on the outside to teach you some lessons to teach you some do's and don'ts uh can we all be honest and say teach us some things that we'll never ever do again Okay, and so we find here that that there's a choice to be made and and he gives uh, some excuses uh, of what's about to happen. See, the Lord says, and the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he being Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh and I am the least Of my father's house uh, here we have some choices that need to be made and 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 that's actually what I've entitled our message this morning is the choices and here Gideon's going to have to make a choice to ignore some things in his own life he's going to have to ignore where he's from and he's going to have to ignore who he thinks he is uh, where he's from, it, it, it says clearly here, it says, my family is poor in Manasseh. So he's talking about uh, how little he has. Uh, let me just ask you this. Uh, anybody ever been poor in their life? Okay, all right. That's the biggest reaction we got all morning. Uh, I, can, I can say that I've been poor in my life. My, my wife actually, uh, we were talking about it this morning, she recently uh, put a post on her on her Facebook page and basically the question was somewhere along the lines of um, what did wealth look like when you were a kid? I think that's how it went. Is that how the what did wealth look like when you were a kid? And her answer was um, a house where you didn't have to haul in water. Anybody ever have to haul in water? Amen. Okay. Mine was uh, uh, when you can afford pest control. Okay. Uh, little things really do make the difference of what you may think of wealth as. Uh, some of us may say, well, uh, wealth looks like having cable TV in your house. Wealth looks like having your own cell phone. Uh, for a lot of us in our minds, wealth means an you know, eight-car garage, 27-bedroom house, and, and a kitchen that looks like Waffle House. If I ever get rich, I want a Waffle House kitchen. I'm just saying. Um, So you may not want a Waffle House kitchen. That's your prerogative. That's fine. But nonetheless, though, he's saying, my family's poor. And on top of that, I'm the least. I'm I'm the least of of all my brothers. I'm the least of, of all my families. You see me down here? You see any of my brothers trying to thresh wheat inside this wine press? I'm the only one I'm, I'm, I'm as low as low can be. And he's allowed his surroundings to change his own thought process of who he is. And now what we see is we see a man with low self-esteem. We see a man who thinks that he may not be good enough because he says he's the least of them. What makes someone the least of anybody else? I've never understood that, but yet I feel that uh, we know paul paul says well i'm the least of i'm the least of all the saints because i'm a murderer'm I'm I'm, I'm I'm one that went after these guys i'm the ones that that made deals and I lied against them and I, and i've done i, I I've paid people I, i've bribed people i've done all this just to kill christians and he says that he's the least of all of them uh, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about a uh, little Gideon here who says that I'm just the least, and there's no view of why he's why he feels this way. There's nothing to show except the fact that he's He's hiding in a wine press trying to get his job done. And so all we know at this point about Gideon is the fact that he's got a poor family life in his own definition. And then he feels horrible about himself. He's not good enough. He's small. He's the least of all. He's the last one to get any food. He's the last one to take the bath. Some of you older ones know what I'm talking about. You know, when, that bath wa- when you might be cleaner than that bath water after everybody else has been in it. He's the least of the least. But yet God looks at him for who he can be. And Jesus died on the cross because of who you are and who you can be. He died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he didn't think about, listen, he didn't think about, well, they're going to they're, they're just going to throw me away anyway. When he died on the cross, he thought there's a chance that people will get to go to heaven for this because my death is going to cover all the sins from the least to the greatest. Paupers and kings will bow before God because their sins are forgiven. The only difference is the choice that they have to make. And every one of us today have a choice to make. Not just just for a better life, Not just for wealth, if that's what you're searching for. We all make choices in this. But the choice that we have to make this morning is salvation. And if you have salvation, let's face it, a better relationship with the Father. That's a choice that we all have to make. And you might not want to hear this. And and regardless, I get to come back next week anyway, so I'm just going to say it. it's your choice that you have a really crummy relationship with the Lord because we've allowed certain things to come into our lives. And let me just say this. I'll be the first one to say it. I'm the chief. I'm. I'm. I, listen, I'm the highest on the totem pole to give excuses of why I have a bad relationship with the Lord. I'll be the first one to tell you. And it's my choice to stay down in the gutter. It's my choice to stay down in the trench. It's my choice to be grumbling every single time about it. Uh, Gideon here has a choice to ignore his past and actually use it. And what he's trying to ignore is, is, is where he comes from and how he looks upon himself. But what we need to look at is maybe the sins that we have committed that keep us down in that wine press that keep our fear uh, right in check to where we're going to... Listen, one day we're going to cross the line and we're going to raise our hands when we praise the Lord, but we're just not at that point yet. Gideon's got a choice to make, and he needs to choose to ignore everything that's affected him from the past. Uh, If you take a look, verse 22. In verse 22 it says this, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord being when he perceived that man that was with him. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Now why did he he say this? Is he saying, Hey, you're not going to die because of where you're at. You're not going to die because of the Midianites. You're not going to. No, 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 no. He's saying uh, you're not going to die because you've seen the Lord face to face. Uh, When you remember Moses. Remember Moses. He wasn't even allowed to see the Lord. He had to see just the back end, if you will. And even that, uh, Moses came back glowing. Uh, But before then, when Moses. (coughs) Excuse me. When Moses saw the burning bush. And he heard the voice of the Lord come through. it, What was the first thing he did? He hid his face. Because there there's a belief that if you see God face to it, face, it's your time to go. It's your time to die. And the angel says, uh, fear not, you're not going to die. Now, if we want to get into this, now I'm just going to give you a belief that I have. Um, and this is one of those big no-nos that they, that they say at the seminary not to do, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You guys asked me to come, so this is what you get. Um, I believe that this wasn't just a normal angel. I believe that this was... Christ I believe this was the human form of God and here's why now I hope those were page turners I hope that wasn't the Bible closing okay Um, but here's why because after after verse 22 where it says and when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord now I understand what it says there but then in the next verse in the Bible it says and the Lord said unto him peace be unto thee in the Lord. So we see here that, that, that God is with us in everything that we do. But when he perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, that's when the choice was made. That's when all of a sudden this mighty man of valor stuff started to come up within him. That's when he decided that he's going to make a choice. And, and let me just say this. Before any action is made, we think about it. Before any of it now, unless you're mad and angry, but this isn't one of those situations here. But even then, when you're mad and angry, you do have a choice. You do have an option. You don't have to walk out that door. Uh, I believe it was the great theologian, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, that said 98% of men that are homeless are the ones that walked out without their keys. Men, grab your keys before you walk out. Just a little bit of laugh. Come on, people. It's, It's okay. It really is okay. Gideon has a choice, and this choice that he makes to follow the Lord is a great choice. But then once we begin making tough choices, we have to deal with the repercussions of it. We have to deal with the consequences. We have to deal with what the Lord wants us to do. All right, Lord, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to do anything that you want me to do. And the Lord says, well, now you've got to go preach to your family. Now you've got to go tell your family what you've done, and you've got to try and lead them. You've got to do all this. And it's like, Whoo! wait a second. You don't know my mother-in-law. Married men don't turn. Just, just look forward. Is this recorded? <laughs> I love my mother-in-law. Um, so he has a choice that he has to make, and we see the first item of business that God wants him to do. And now let, let's get, let's get serious. First order of business: Gideon has now said, okay. You call me a mighty man of valor. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to do what you want me to do. So here's the first order of business. Take a look. Verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock and even the second bullock of seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove beside it. His father had set up an altar for Baal, and there was a beautiful grove that was right next to it. Now, this grove here, uh, the trees that they used were trees that, uh, that the people actually used. They, they were fertility trees, if you will, um, and they were known for how well that they were able to spread. And God says, I want you to tear down the altar, and then I want you to tear down that grove. This is the first order of business. You want to serve me? You believe Uh, that I'm going to lead you to victory, this is the first thing you need to do and it needs to start in your family's house. People, I'm just letting you know right now, individually, once we make the decision to follow Jesus Christ as our personal savior, our next order of business is our family's house. And you will be ridiculed. And you will be laughed at, and you will be denied, and you will be rejected. And you know what? That's going to be okay, because as long as you keep on keeping on, the Lord's going to bless you. But here's what he did. He went and he did exactly as the Lord told him to do. And so this choice, uh, he goes from a choice to ignore his, his past, to, to ignore the things, all of his problems, to ignore all of these things. He made a choice to do that. now here's the choice to initiate that call upon his life. And every one of you have a call upon your life. Every one of you have somewhere to go, have somewhere to be, have people to talk to, have people to witness to. When you get to heaven, I pray that the Lord shows you all of the people that you have affected. I pray that that happens. And it's either going to be a very humbling moment or it's going to be a very difficult moment. But nonetheless, the Bible says that we will have to give an account. Amen? And so the first order of business is to... You want to follow me? Go tear down your daddy's altar. Go tear down the grove that goes with it. And then when you're done doing that, I want you to build a new altar. And uh, let's go ahead and double down. I know you don't want to get in trouble for tearing this down, but let's double down. When you go to build the new altar, I want you to take that grove, all the wood from that grove, and I want you to put it down, and I want you to burn a sacrifice using that very wood. So you could imagine by the time... The night was over. You have just just a field full of nothing but cut roots. Y'all know what it looks like when we see loggers come through and we see where they had just been and you can see where. It doesn't look all flat. It looks like a, a bomb had dropped there. Man, what's to think? Gideon had the choice to ignore. But then he had to choose to initiate his faith initiate his obedience. We all fall under the obedience of the Lord, but the Lord is going to give us the option of how we want to live our lives. But he says, listen, obedience is the great way to start. What do we call baptism? What do we, what, what do we call baptism? We know salvation, but then, well, what do we call baptism? The first step of obedience. All right. And sometimes we think that that's difficult but yet it's a public profession of faith. Do you think this altar that his dad had in this big old grove that was next to it, you think that's a public profession of something? Of course it is. And then even more so, it's a public profession of not just to cut down the trees and let them sit, but now we're going to burn everything with it. And this is what we're going to make our altar to Lord. He, he had the choice to initiate his faith, and in turn, his life became an inspiration. And we're not even talking about the 300 men that he used to kill the 130,000. We're not even talking about that. We're not even to that point yet. We're just looking at Gideon for who Gideon is and who the Lord has, has, has created him to be. And I ask you today, whatever your name may be, who are you and who has the Lord created you to be? And how big of a gap is that between those two? Who are you today? Who does the Lord want you to be? And what's stopping you from doing that? Maybe perhaps it's tearing down an altar. Maybe it's cutting down a grove. Now, please don't cut down your neighbor's grove. Don't tear down any of their statues, okay? We're talking about ourselves here. But what's stopping you from serving him? Gideon had a choice. choice to ignore. A choice to initiate. And then finally, a choice to inspire. You ever find it funny? um, You find yourself been living a little bit sinfully and, you know, people around uh, around the neighborhood, uh, around the church, kind of talk a little bit behind your back. I know this church is, is, is not with that. Um, but when I think about things like that, I find it funny that the same people that encourage us are the same people that bring us down. And then when we try to get back up from a fall people people don't reach down and say hey here let 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 me help you up. People don't reach down and say hey man listen that was a that was a little bit of a fall but we're we're, we're going to pick you back up and we're going to we're we're going to help you out here. Normally it's more of criticism. Well, we're we're going to see how well it goes. We're going to see how long this lasts. We're going to see what happens with this. Uh, Gideon has torn down this altar something that his father had made, something that the city absolutely loved. And how do we know that? Uh, Very simple. Uh, Go over to verse 20. In verse 20 it says, And the men of the city arose early in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down, and that that was by it, and the second bullock of And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And so all these men that would go to to this altar veil, they would come in the morning. And isn't that what we do on Sunday morning? Where do we go on Sunday morning, y'all? House of the Lord. These people are going to, the ba- to, to, to this statue of Baal, to this altar of Baal. And what do they find? They find a sm- this smoldering altar with this dead bullock that's right there that's already been offered. And, and I don't know if we're still at the point where flames are being thrown up or if it's just coals. But uh, you guys get the picture of what they're looking at here. And they're upset. They are angry. They are frustrated. Uh, We've seen uh, a few years back when people were tearing down uh, monuments and statues and all that. It wasn't too long before... Other people people came there with guns and tried to protect them. You remember that? Here we are, and these men are upset. Their altar has been torn down, and and they're looking for blood. They want Gideon to die for his sin here, quote-unquote, sin. And of all people, they go to his father, Joash, and here's how Joash responds. Uh, the men of Israel said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Uh, now this this man here, this was his own altar. It wasn't the city's altar. It was Joash's altar, Gideon's dad. It was his altar. He was the one that built it. I don't know why the city would want to go after him. I mean, you figure uh, the dad would probably say, No, you guys have heard something like this before. Uh... I'll kill him myself. One of those situations. But he doesn't do that. You can see where where Gideon's choice has inspired his father to do something. And and, and he doesn't step back and say, I'm going to defend my son. He doesn't do anything like that. He almost gives an answer that, that Jesus would give. And here's what he says. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. Wist, it is yet morning? If he be a god, let him plead for himself. Because one hath cast down his altar. Here's what, Joash, here's, what, here's what Joash said. Gideon's dad. Well, this is a god. You don't think being a god he can't handle himself? You don't think that, that, that Baal can take care of himself? You don't think that Baal could have just protected his own altar? Any of of you think that? You guys are the ones that need to die for stupidity. You don't think that that Baal can take care of himself? Let Baal defend himself. Now, what happens when people say, let God defend himself? What happens? Whew. I I heard a man once say, he said, defending God is like defending a lion. You ain't got to do nothing. Just unlock the cage. Okay? How many times have we seen God defend himself in the Bible? Whew. And when he does, he makes a statement about it. Amen? We see Joash here saying, let Baal make the statement. And then he turns around and he gives his son a new name. Verse 32. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel saying, let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. Let Baal kill my son. Let Baal defend him. Let Baal take care of all of this. And the men backed up. Now, the Bible's not going to say that the men backed up, but we see Gideon uh, Gideon is mentioned in the very next verse, so we know that something happened, right? We know that these men stopped going after Gideon. As a matter of fact, it was at this point that Gideon would send out letters and he would bring, uh, people would read these letters, and 32,000 men would come at the command of Gideon. For the fact that Gideon's name was changed by his dad to Jerubbabel, almost a nickname, if you will, because the Bible doesn't always refer to him as Jerubbabel throughout the rest of the story. But by this point here, Jerubbabel means. Let Baal defend himself, meaning Gideon's life, his living existence was a testament to the fact that Baal had no power. Does that make sense? And so my question to you is this. What does your very existence show? What does it prove? What kind of reputation are you leaving for the next generation? What kind of reputation are you, are, are you giving uh, for the Lord right now at this very moment? What does your existence prove? At the children's home, we tell the kids nearly every day. God has a purpose, a plan, and a calling for your life. And for everyone that is under the sound of my voice, and I've said this many times, and I, and I, and I say it again. If you are breathing, if your heart is beating. If you're able uh, to comprehend the words that I'm saying, then I'm telling you this right now. God has a purpose, a plan, and a calling in your life. And He wants to use you. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Because let me just tell you this. I have learned wisdom from a 4-year-old as much as I have learned wisdom uh, from a 99-year-old. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'd like to share just a little, just a humbling story with you before, before we close. About two weeks ago, I was at a church and, and I've been asked to come and preach at this church just on and off. And I don't know, probably once every two months or so. And, and every time I go there, now the sanctuary is about half the size of this sanctuary. And when you walk in, the the floor is not level at all. As a matter of fact, if you put a marble down, depending on where it's at, it's either going to roll to the left or it's going to roll to the right. It's one of those types of churches. You understand? And every time I preach here, I, I, I try my, I'd like to say I preach my heart out. I'd like to say that I do well. I like to say all of this. I I try to I try to study in hopes that when I go to this church, it's going to move the people. Okay, and I've been and I've been doing it for about a year and a half now, just on and off. Okay, I don't have a set schedule with them. It's just when they're without one, I we come preach today or something of that nature. And so I preached a message. As a matter of fact, uh, Bruce, it was it was on Hosea. Okay, we did that in Sunday school today. Uh, It was on Hosea, and I give the invitation, and I'm expecting. All right, we're gonna just do one verse of of invitation. I know how this is gonna go, and then all of a sudden, a young man comes by, and he scoots past me, and he starts he starts praying at the altar, and then someone a little bit older comes by on my right side and. They start praying at the altar. And then another one comes down, and and they start praying at the altar. And then another one comes down, and they start praying at the altar. Out of 32 people there, four people came down. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not saying that they made any decisions to to accept Christ as their personal Savior. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, But there was finally movement within the church. And it wasn't just uh, for their sakes, but can you imagine the encouragement that that gave the others who didn't move, right? So I call my wife, and I say, you won't believe what happened. She's like, what happened? And I said, four people came down. Now, I'm not saying this is braggadocious, so please don't take it that way, but four people came down. I ain't never seen people walk past this, this. I mean, it's like the line of scrimmage, you know? There's, there's invisible football players right there. You're afraid you're going to get sacked, right? And they came down, and my wife had me on speakerphone, and my daughter was listening. And my daughter's learning a lot about math. And she said, Daddy. And I said, yeah. And she said, 32 people were there? And I said, yeah. And four people came down? I said, yeah, isn't that wonderful? She said, but that means 28 stayed. (laughs) That means 28 stayed. You may not know what you're doing in your life right now. And you may not know who is watching you, but you are being watched. Whether it be someone younger or someone older. That person might not be in your life right now, but one day they will. Let me let me tell you this. Lord has something amazing for you. And right now. I promised I wasn't going to say it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. The devil has tried you guys. And he has put you guys through the ringer and you guys have gone through the trenches and you guys have, have, have suffered so, so much. May I be bold enough just to tell you that all of that was for a reason? All of that is for what's coming next. There's going to be a generation that walks through these doors that you're going to be able to share with them the strength that God has given you. There's going to be a generation in here that comes and and asks any one of you guys how to handle a certain situation. And, and, And you know what you're going to be able to tell them? You're going to be able to tell them what to do and what not to do. Everything that you guys have gone through in the last year, maybe two years, I promise you, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. The fault is gonna be where you believe that there's nothing that you have gotten from it. The fault is gonna be where you feel that you are still worthless and you have nothing to give. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about giving from what's in the inside to the out. There's a generation that's growing, y'all. And you are prime opportunity for a wonderful moment of revival and strength and love. And it's going to reach people that you never thought. It's going to reach people that have never even heard the name Central before. But you have to stick with it. Everything that has happened before, I don't even want to... Let me contradict my own message and just say, don't ignore it. Use it. Use it for the the strengthening of yourselves and for the purpose of reaching the lost. As we stand in our... And thanks again for listening to this episode of the Central Word Podcast. Our desire is that this episode builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. May God bless you in this week to come. Thanks again for listening.